Hello everyone and welcome back to the Ireland Football Fans Podcast. I'm Joseph McCarthy of the Irish Abroad Football Statistics website and I'm joined by Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Psychic and Philip Flanagan of the Bottomless Pit of Football. Since we recorded our end of year review, the draw for the 2024 UEFA Nations League has been completed and the January 2024 transfer window has slammed shut. Looking forward to discussing both of these topics with you lads. How are you both doing? Yeah, good, Joe. All good, uh, Joe. All good. How are you, Mac? Kick off. All right, let's get straight into it with the draw for the 2024 UEFA Nations League. Ireland are still somehow in League B, despite our historical results in the still relatively new competition. We knew with the teams that we could face that no matter what happened, we would be facing a tough draw. And I think it's fair to say we got one of the toughest draws in uh, League B. Uh, we've drawn top seeds England, who were relegated from League A. Finland team, who were looking forward to a playoff against Wales for Euro 2024. And our old friends, Greece, who beat us twice in the qualifiers for the Euros this summer. Whether or not they're still managed by Gus Poyet by the time we face them in September remains to be seen. It's a tough draw, Mark, no matter what else you can say about it. Yeah, no, agree with you, Joel. <laughs> Whoever the new manager of the Republic of Ireland uh, knows what's ahead of him anyway. Difficult draw. I mean, look, England, top seeds for a reason here. No, they've gone down to Group B, but to be honest, they're the standout team here. Look at the talent that they have. We all know it from... Premier League, La Liga, Bundesliga now with Jaden Sancho. So, I mean, to be fair, I mean, England top-notch. Greece, we're very familiar with them after the Euros. Um, as you say, it goes Poyet, organised the team very well and they were very competitive in the group. You know, they got a result against France at home and were pretty competitive throughout and sure, uh, they had our scalp twice. And obviously Finland, I think we know what to expect from Finland. You know, they've had a, a good Euros campaign during a playoff against Wales. Look, I think we have to focus within first anyway, Joe. I don't know. What do you think about it, Phil? Fucking England. I had to laugh, Joe, when you were saying about <laughs> being in League B there because I watched the draw live and I can't think of his name, but the grey-haired fella who does the does the nitty-gritty, does the draw, and Ireland came out of the pot and he goes, Ireland, who are very, very familiar with Group B, love Group B, and I was just thinking, you fuckers wouldn't relegate us when you when you meant to, you know, you just didn't relegate us. That's why we're stuck in purgatory. Like, as far as the group concerned, yeah, it's tough. As 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 Mark said, it's it's a tough group. Greece have our number and they're decent. Are they much better than us? No, but they have our number at the moment. And um, Finland, as you said. They're tipping away, not too bad. No, I was looking, like I haven't watched Finland in a game in years, but I, I was looking through the results and it's not like they've been beating anyone too big. You know, they do concede a lot of goals, like they've conceded to San Marino, Kazakhstan, Betham, a few other teams have scored against them. So I wouldn't be overly worried about them either. And then obviously you have England, who are probably at the moment, would you say the third best team in the world? Maybe? Second, third? The thing about drawing England as well is we've got them in our first game, which is on the 7th of September. The Euros are going to either go really well for them and they're going to win it or they're going to just miss out and lose it. So it'll be very interesting to see is what kind of shape they're in when we play them. They're either going to be looking for revenge or they're going to be coming down off a high and they might have a new manager. So I wouldn't be expecting us to get a sniff off them. 
Again, like the last group, we weren't expected to get Antonov France, and I don't think we'll be getting Antonov England either. So it wasn't just the the last qualifying group where where Greece had our number. We've played the Greeks five times now, and we've won zero and drawn one of those five, uh, and lost. Uh, each of the other four. We scored once against them, Nathan Collins' uh, equaliser last June. In, my, in my therapist told me never to go back more than two years in Irish football because it gets me, it's too depressing. So we'll just take, we'll just take the last two years' results. Forget about yeah. the rest. It's too upsetting. Uh, I'd actually completely forgotten about the friendly in November 2002. It came after Mick McCarthy had stood down, but before Brian Kerr was appointed, so it meant that Don Givens took charge. It was actually notable for a couple of reasons. Uh, Glenn Crow, who was at Bohemians at the time, started up front with Gary Doherty and actually played well. He was on a bit of a scoring streak in the League of Ireland at the time. I thought he might go on to be an option for us up front, but I think he only got one more cap after that game. Richie Partridge, who was with... I think Coventry on loan at the time was actually named as a substitute and uh, also Wes Hoolan. But that's literally the only thing you ever need to know about that game. It was a horrible game of football. I think Richard Dunn was given the man in the match and the reason he was given it was he was playing at left fullback when he, much like it was said about Ray Houghton, he used his left leg for standing. I agree with you that England are one of the top three teams in the world right now. I'd have them as slight favourites for the Euros this summer. I think it's possibly only France that would have a realistic chance of beating them. In their qualifying campaign for the, the Euros, they were unbeaten. They only dropped four points away to Ukraine and also away to North Macedonia. But that game came right at the end of their campaign, at which point they were six points clear of second-placed Italy. So they really weren't too bothered about taking three points back from Skopje. It's going to be tough against England. And, you know, Phil, you mentioned it off before we started recording that the discourse is just going to be around the two English players who who came through the, the Irish setup, Declan Rice and Jack Grealish. I just hope that people finally realise that the reason Martin O'Neill didn't give him a cap against Moldova was because he wasn't in the squad. He wasn't named in the squad. He wasn't named in the revised squad. He was actually with the under-21s at the time and played Germany the night before. But... There's a bit of a Mandela effect among Ireland fans at the moment that's just lament. Oh, if Martin O'Neill had just taken him off the subs bench for a minute, uh, he'd be an Ireland international. Well, first of all, he would have had to be on the subs bench and he wasn't. But you know what the worst thing about this is? It's going to be like the France game last year. It's going to be packed to the rafters. And I don't want to sound snobby saying it, but there's going to be a ball of Fairweather fans there coming to see Ireland play England. And they're going to have their stupid opinions about Declan Rice. And they're just going to be chanting and booing. And it's going to be absolute just torture and embarrassing. You can just see it coming down the road a mile away. Everyone's going to be sick of it. Like, Fair enough, let someone just tackle Declan Rice and we'll give a cheer. We'll all be over it then. That might just do it. But there's going to be so many. We saw it with the, the Latvia game last year. I was at the Latvia game. There wasn't a person within 50 seats of me. And then I was back three days later unsure who was who were, where were we the last night. It's going to be the same with the England game. And they're just going to be, again, without trying to sound too snobby, that this might be the only Ireland game they go to this year. But they'll all just be going on about second rights because it's the funny thing to do. So it will. It'll be a bit. It'll be a bit torturous. And just the other thing about England is, like England usually don't play 
over the like the last maybe say six or seven years, you'd often have the telly on when England are playing because they don't really play the same night as Ireland. So you'd always have them on in the background maybe because there's a game of ball on. No team besides maybe France eat up qualification teams like England do without being spectacular. They just breeze through qualification campaigns. They just steamroll absolutely everything in front of them, bar the odd time. You can't even remember half of them because they just, it's not that they're born. It's it's just inevitable. They play Lithuania, they beat them 3-0 or whatever. They play whoever and they beat them 4-0 or 5 Malta, they seem to play Malta every two weeks. And I just have a fear if the manager isn't up to standard, it's going to be the same with us. Derby or no derby, they, they could they could do that. Absolutely. And I think as well, Philip, I think you might have touched upon it. From my perspective, I think Garrett's OK. This is probably heading into his final tournament with England. I'd imagine he'll be looking to, for a role upstairs in... Um, Burton on Trent for this. I think the legacy is there for him. So, look, uh, I think a new manager comes in. The squad will be revitalised. But look, <laughs> they've beaten Italy home and away in the Euro qualification campaign. I mean, that's enough, really, isn't it? That's what you're dealing with here, um, Joe and Phil. I mean, as you said, they're very efficient in terms of how they get the results. You know, we can always say, you know, in terms of the finals, that they've just been short. But, like, as you say, Phil... They are the professionals when it comes out to qualification campaign. Like, literally, they had everything pretty much sewn up after probably round three of the Euro qualifiers. And they'll look to do the same here in Nations League to get a swift uh, return up to the elite group anyway. So, look, um, work's cut out. But, I mean, definitely with Finland and Greece, I think that should be our focus areas and see if we can uh, get a few points off those two. Yeah, like, just going back to England there, like, you're right what you said about Southgate. I, I think he... I think, no, it's just speculation, obviously, but I think he goes if they don't win the Euros. If players like Declan Rice and Jude Bellingham and Harry Kane, even though they're second in the Bundesliga Bayern, if, say, those three players continue on the trajectory they're on this season to be, like, the outstanding players in their leagues, and Gareth Southgate goes into this tournament with this squad, like, say, Phil Foden, you know, there's there's a, there's a, like half the team. You could name half the team there. There's so they've so many quality players now, but like they're nearly going to be on another level. And I think if they don't win the Euros, I think he'll have to walk. And I think if the stars align, will we be seeing? And I'm deadly serious about this, but will we be seeing Eddie Howe and Jason Tindall on the sideline in the Aviva in September? The way things are going, it's like everything is kind of going perfectly for that to happen. So it'll be very interesting to see to see what kind of state England turn up in. But again, I results-wise, I don't think it matters. I think the target will be a point from the two games, maybe. But as you said, Finland Finland, and Greece are the focus. And improving on the results against Greece and definitely looking to take three to four points off Finland, I think. You have to be aiming for that. You have to. You can't just say not get beat. You have to be aiming for that. That's definitely achievable against Finland. In the seven games that we've played against them, we've won three, although the last of those came in August 2002. In the two games we've played them since in the 2020 UEFA Nations League, we lost at home and away to them. That game in August 2002, incidentally, was the, the first game after the the World Cup in Japan, South Korea, and uh, maybe a little bit notable that uh, Graham Barrett scored on what was his debut. During the playoffs for Euro 2024, as we said, they're going to be playing Wales, 
Australia's campaign uh, in Group H against Denmark, Slovenia, Kazakhstan, Northern Ireland, San Marino. They won six of the games, but they scored 18 goals in their 10 games, including four at home against Northern Ireland and six against uh, the Minos of the group, San Marino. It's not been that long since we've played Finland, but uh, I'm not sure how different the, the squad will be when we face them in October. We can definitely talk about the teams and analyse them and and you know talk about what we expect from our own team against them. But I think everything comes under the caveat of who who we put in charge. You know, if you have Neil Lennon in charge against England, let's say hypothetically, I wouldn't be happy with Neil Lennon. Beggars and chooses and all that. I still think we could do better. And I think a lot of the fan base wouldn't be happy with them. I think you go into a game like that with someone like Neil Lennon, who might be a bit cautious and maybe try and lump the ball a bit straight away, you know, because England are a top side. You get beat maybe 2-0, 3-0. I think that's... You're, you're on a slippery slope there straight away. Whereas you come in with maybe a manager that someone is interested in, like Carsley, and they might have a goal progressively, a bit like they did against France, mix it up. Not exactly play the ball on the ground all the time, but try and do your best. I think that might set you up for the rest of the group with a bit of optimism. The managerial question is, is huge when it comes to talking about these teams. It's it's so important. Like I don't think we can like underestimate how important it is to get this right. And um especially with the the talent that's there now that has been there under Kenny. We just need someone else to try and get the best out of them. So it, it's just a big asterisk at the moment. Obviously we don't know where we are but our perspectives could change a lot within one to two games of the of the group. I think just a ramification as well, Phil, you know, the likes of Packy Bonner, they were they were out interviewing there a few weeks ago and there looked to be a little bit of white smoke in Abbottstown a few weekends ago, but that's kind of quietened down a bit. Is it whoever they wanted is get a little bit reluctant to take it on? But I, I think they know the significance of disappointment as well. I mean, look, you can criticize Stephen Kenny all you want, but you know, he has given young players in the squad and opportunities to give them 10, 20, 30 caps here to really kind of uh, express themselves. So it's really up to this new manager to really, as you say, mold this team into a more consistent performing and uh, a team that's capable of actually getting results. So you're right. Like the worry is that it's taken so long because as you said, we're not looking to rip it up again. Like we did when Mick McCarthy left and Stephen Kenny came in. We look to rip it up totally then and say, right, that's all gone. We're not doing that anymore. Here comes Stephen Kenny. I think the Stephen Kenny approach was the right approach. Unfortunately for Stephen Kenny, I think the job was too big for him and he failed at some of the elements basically on the pitch, but the rest of it was fine. We're looking basically for a a higher version of Stephen Kenny. We need a better version of him. I would be worried that it's taken so long because it's not like we're trying to totally change paths again. You know, they should be able to identify managers like Stephen Kenny or similar to Stephen Kenny in his ethos and approach and have a short list. And it's just, it is a small bit of a worry that it's taken so long. Obviously, Lee Carsley is one of them, but, you know, they say they're doing interviews. Like, it's worrying thought that they might be interviewing the likes of Neil Lennon as a, as a plan B because it's a, like, let's call it, a, it's a shit plan B, like. Who knows, Neil Warnock could have been included in that interview pool. You just never know. We will never know in terms of who the list of interviewers were. So, but, uh, yeah. don't know, Joe, who would you prefer? 
as the Republic of Ireland manager if you had the choice now? Because I know money will be pretty tight here as well for the FAI. That's definitely a factor. I think the difference between this appointment and Stephen Kenny's appointment was that Kenny at the time was the outstanding candidate. In many ways, he was, he was the ideal candidate. He was uh, immersed in the game here. He had developed an entertaining, attacking, successful brand of football at Dundalk. He brought them into Europe with a passion to develop the game here. But the difference between between that process and now is that I don't know that there is an outstanding candidate. Don't like of the names that have been mentioned, I would definitely favour Lee Carsley. He's got a great reputation as a coach. Uh, he's been successful at an under twenty one level with England. Uh, I know people argue that well, with the amount of talent that's available to him, uh, he should be successful. But the other side of that is England have not been successful under twenty one level for a very long time, um, and even have, uh, you know, his his predecessor had some pretty embarrassing results, including I think a draw or only a very late winner against Andorra. Of the other candidates that have been mentioned. I'm trying to be as charitable as I can here, but it's not very inspiring. I've seen the same comments mentioned a few times online about the other candidates, is that their careers are all in decline, whereas Carsey's is still on an incline, still improving, and you would see you could see that taking the Ireland senior international job as a step up from his current position with the England under-21s, whereas with the other candidates... And I don't want to be disrespectful to the position, but it is, it's probably a, a backward step for them. Well, uh, think of it this way. Uh, let's say for argument's sake that Neil Lennon doesn't get the Ireland job, manager X gets appointed. What's the highest ranked club that you could see taking an interest in Neil Lennon? It's not going to be a Premier League club. I mean, it's probably not going to be a top half championship club. But you're right, this was the argument we had for keeping Stephen Kenny. If we let him go, who take him? Nobody is the answer, really. So you're bang on. Like, it's like this. It's like you have two restaurants side by side. One restaurant has a queue of 50 people outside it. The other one has a, a man trying to get you in with the menu. Which one do you go to? You go to the one with the queue because it's probably better than the one with no one in it and the fella trying to coax it in. For the Ireland job now, you have a load of lads who just think it'll be a handy job. And they put themselves forward. Where Lee Carsley seems to be the actual only candidate that seems to have some sort of reputation or where you might actually have to challenge other players, other teams or clubs for him, which it seems to be the case. So in that respect, if he's that well highly regarded, he's probably worth going for. And the other thing is, people say, oh, what has he done? He's won a, a, a title with under 21. It's like, we absolutely rave about Brian Kerr in this country. Like, he is the messiah for his his trophy with the Irish youth team. like It's the best thing that's ever happened. So how does that not compute for Lee Carsley, who, as you said, England weren't doing that well before he took over? Does he not get the same praise or respect for doing that than, say, Brian Kerr did for Ireland, just because England have a higher pool talent to choose from? So I think when you line up the candidates and Lee Carsley is there amongst them, the likes of Neil Lennon or Sam Allardyce or God knows who else, I think he's easily the outstanding candidate. Oh, he definitely is. Like, and that's all the candidates that have been discussed. I mean, 
Giovanni Trapattoni when he was appointed he was a very late addition to the the interview pool I'm not saying like someone on his level is go- suddenly going to be interviewed for the job but of the candidates that are there that have, that have been mentioned that have been linked with the job so far and Carsey is the outstanding candidate I think something else that counts in his favour is that he's a coach and I think that's what the FAI chairman uh, Mark Carnum has talked about bringing in someone to coach the players whereas the other candidates I've mentioned, I don't think have that same reputation. Completely agree with you guys. I think Carlsley is the, the stand-up candidate here. But I suppose is he kind of waiting on the long grass here to see what Gareth Southgate and England team will do during the summer as well. So, look, um, there's, you know, other names we mentioned, but look, Carlsley seems to be the one. And if not, then probably Neil Lennon. I mean, Anthony Barry's probably a very much a long shot, wouldn't he? I know he's gone to Bayern Munich and apparently a seven-figure sum heading over there so I think even the money aspect I think it's even the money in terms of the FAI are offering any of these prospective managers could be kind of a stumbling block right now just given the financial predicament of the FAI so um, so it will be interesting just to see if the Neil Lennons or I know Chris Hewton's just been recently relieved from his Ghanaian national soccer duties but um, is it a case of them kind of going down through the list here and seeing who can actually fit in terms of the salary that they'll be offering here. So I think there might be a twist or turn left in this yet here, guys. I think ideal world, hopefully it would be Lee Carsley, um, given the coaching resume in England under 21s. But then again, you know, it's uh, until that appointment is made in Abbottstown, I think, you know, the speculation won't help here. And particularly you have England in the Euros, you have Greece and Finland preparing for playoffs who are only two games away from going into the Euros. So really, and truly, the new manager, as I said at the onset here, knows exactly what they're getting themselves into. You know, there's three very good teams here. Uh, it'll be just fascinating to see who actually gets appointed. I think it's close. I think especially with uh, the news about Revolut taking over as sponsors, I'm sure they they wanted some assurances of who would of someone who's taken over, maybe. Maybe not. that's not how it works, but the fact that they're going to have a sponsor soon, I think there'll be someone there'll be someone announced soon. And if the podcast gods are looking down on us, this will probably be out of date in about two days because there'll be a new manager, hopefully. <laughs> you, Joe, you won't have it edited before there'll be a new manager. Yeah. Uh, You'll be halfway through it and they'll announce it. <laughs> yeah, let's throw it all out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point, actually, about the sponsors. Um, at the moment, it, that has yet to be confirmed, but someone, a company of the calibre of Revolut isn't going to come on board without, as you say, certain assurances being made about what they actually are going to be sponsoring. Yeah, I don't uh, know if it's not necessarily like a name, but like hmm. I would presume whoever deals with this in Revolut was like, please don't tell me like the team we're going to get, at, like everyone's going to, you know, it's going to be a disaster, like, you know, they, they probably want some assurances. I'm not sure. Just speculating. But if you're a corporate, you're looking to associate yourself with a kind of a winning team or I would say an organization that's proper governance. I mean, people might have a little snigger at that one, to be fair. But I mean, yeah, it's a true point, Philip. I mean, assurances will have to have been made by the FBI chief exec and board on who they're actually looking to attract here. So, if it is Revolut, that sponsor would have to be reassured because it would be a multi-year deal. I mean, very similar with the FAI with the women's um, sponsorship with Sky Ireland. Like, I mean, 
multi-year contract and really kind of defining the vision, the ethos of the brand, really, because the, the footballing brand on the pitch really will reflect on the sponsors. So there's an awful lot here for the FAI, the chief executive and the board and, you know, the interview selection committee to really ponder. But we are getting into mid-February now, guys. And I mean, you're kind of looking at friendly announcements being made here, uh, particularly for June. You'd ideally want a, a manager in place, hopefully in the next week or two, to really kind of set the platform, have a look at games over across the water and in Europe to see who's actually impressing and really get a good squad together for those June internationals. Yeah, and the two friendlies in in March ahead of that against uh, Belgium and Switzerland. I guess it never a dull moment in Irish international football. When you think about it, there's a possibility that Lee Carsley could be managing England against Ireland in September, or he could be managing Ireland against England. It's two weeks now, as we record, since the January 2024 transfer window slammed shut, as uh, transfer windows do. I think the overall impression of it, not just with regards to Ireland transfers of Irish players, was that it was fairly quiet compared to previous years. I think the spectre of financial fair play looms large in the minds of managers and CEOs across England and across across Europe. But there was still a few notable transfers. Finanzas spent the first half of the season on loan with Plymouth, left Plymouth and left his parent club Aston Villa to sign with uh, with Middlesbrough. Um, it's a, a long-term deal uh, for the midfielder as well, five and a half years. Uh, so they obviously view him as an exciting prospect, as has been the opinion of, of Ireland fans who have seen him play. I think Middlesbrough have been playing some good football under Michael Carrick. Uh, they fell short in the playoffs last year and possibly looking to his as to the Premier League next season. Yeah, it's a great yeah. signing, isn't it, for the player and uh, Middlesbrough as well. You know, Middlesbrough really impressing that Caribou Cup run as well, didn't they? I know they've been plagued by injuries, Joe and Phil. So, look, if they can get into the top six uh, in, for the rest of the season, they'll be doing quite well. But I think Michael Carrick is building a very good, youthful, attacking-minded squad. So, look, I think Finn is, is. I think the Pilgrim fans that I know, Finn and Argyle, are very sad to see him leave the club because uh, he was playing super stuff for Plymouth at the start of the season. So, look, I think it's a great transfer for both parties. Yeah, because Middlesbrough had a bit of a rocky start, didn't they? They were kind of circling a bit there with Carrick. There was some questions, but they've pulled it together well. Yeah, score of great goals, Finnazaz. Every week he seems to have been leathering one in from 30 yards. So hopefully he keeps going well. He was highly regarded anyway at Villa as well. Yeah, and I was actually a little surprised that they did choose to let him go, but uh, obviously the terms that yeah, he was offered uh, meant that he's lining out at the Riverside now. You know, a couple of the underage players that moved were was interesting. Ollie O'Neill, who's who's at Fulham, talented winger with the Ireland under-21s. Uh, he's gone to Leighton Orient, been a fairly consistent player at PL2 level, but for whatever reason, just not able to push into uh, the first team at Craven Cottage. I think, uh, you know, Leighton Orient... He's not leaving London and he can, you know, look to develop his game in League One. You know, another massively promising youth player is Sam Curtis, who signed for Sheffield United after leaving St. Patrick's Athletic. It's another one of these transfers where the League of Ireland club didn't get uh, a transfer fee. Now, they will be due some money as uh, as a youth development fee. Um, but it's uh, something that's been discussed in League of Ireland circles that you know, youth players should be on longer term contracts without release clauses 
uh, to ensure that they get properly compensated if and when they do move, uh, not just to, to England, but possibly to, to Italy, which is an increasingly popular destination for promising Irish young players. Guys, I know we talked about this before coming on air, Michael Obafemi. Really, it's uh, another club for Michael, and uh, to be fair, he's putting himself proverbially in the lion's den with Millwall. I mean, who are 18th at the moment in the championship. This is really getting into the stage now where Michael Obafemi really has to kind of consolidate summer for a significant period of time. He's been at Swansea. The Burnley move this time last year we thought would have been a fantastic move for him as Burnley were striding away with the championship title. Hasn't worked and it hasn't been for the sake of Burnley not scoring enough goals in the Premier League. So the fact that they've offloaded him to Millwall I think really is another wake-up call for Obafemi. I know he's had injury problems but again, you know, you think of the Southampton era as well that you'd hope for the players' sake he can impress early here in Millwall and secure maybe a permanent deal in South London. I don't know, Phil. In terms of Michael Obafemi, do you think it's maybe uh, one of his last chances really to impress? It's really hard to know. It's nearly like he's into the Aaron Connolly range of territory here where he's got one last chance again. All you're looking for is a bit of consistency. You know they can do it. It's the same with Connolly. Like, no, I never thought Connolly would get back to the level he's at now even. And he has for a bit. Anyway, for how long it lasts, I don't know. Oh, but Femi seems to be in the same mould. We know his attributes. We know what he can do. But we don't know. There's There's just something not right there with the player because he's not able to do it on a consistent basis. Be it injuries, temperament, I don't know. But he has had injuries, but he's just not able to settle. And you need to be playing regularly at that age. Because it's just, all it does is it stunts development. You know, you're never going to get to a high... Like, I would say they'll never get to a higher level now. You know, you see some players like... I use Dominic Solanke as an example. Solanke is a player who was bought by Liverpool who never really reached the heights that he should have, but went off and played regularly and has now reached those heights because he's played regularly. Whereas you look at the likes of Obafemi, you think he, if he did get regular game time all the time, maybe he could get up to a higher level, a Premier League level, but it just doesn't look like it's going to happen. So I I don't know. Maybe last chance saloon. Maybe it could be a thing where he goes abroad, like Connolly. You just don't know. It's it's really hard to call. I would say he's probably championship bound for the rest of his career at that level, the way it's looking. There's nothing wrong with being a, a championship striker. Oh, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But it's just, again, you go back to when you see these players, you know, you go back to the Scotland game, him and Paris, you're like, oh, my God. And then you look at Parrott, who's actually playing regularly abroad, and you think, maybe Parrott could kick on. And then you have someone like Obafemi, who's unbelievable that day as well, and you think, mm, I don't know. Absolutely nothing wrong with the championship. It's, it's such a high level, but it's just a shame when they initially show so much potential. I know what you mean. And I, you know, I think one of the big regrets of Stephen Kenny's time in charge is that we didn't see more of Obafemi and Parrot on the pitch at the same time. Now, that's not just down to the manager because, you know, each player uh, had their fair, probably more than their fair share of injuries and uh, were in and out of form. But that day against Scotland, I think it was their first time on the pitch together, definitely in the in the Nations League. Um, but I'm not sure if they had ever played together for Ireland before that. But they looked like they 
been playing beside each other and playing off each other their whole careers. Giant transfers you want to discuss? Well, obviously, uh, Joe Hodge is a big one, but also Connor Coventry. So that's our central midfield pairing from the playoffs two years ago against Israel, who both really haven't been playing at all. And have both got low moves. So it just shows you again, we're, we're speaking about the likes of Obafemi and that and how careers can just take different turns. Like here's two players where, like I remember myself, I was saying, Jesus, Joe Hodge has to, has to be in the next, you know, Ireland squad or whatever. And he got as few games it was and then just, that's it, disappears off the face of the earth for a bit. Same with Coventry. So it just shows you how you can go. You know, you've two highly rated midfielders nearly qualifying for a tournament and then all of a sudden things just go quiet. I still think, like, especially with Hodge, there's plenty of potential there and he's got off to a really good start with QPR, but like we need, we need these types of players in the senior squad. Centre midfield, uh, the number eight role, especially attacking, is where we are lacking in the senior team. We have good defenders. We have lots of potential up front. We even have a couple of wingers now, and Bene, maybe Mikey Johnson. But it's that in behind the striker role, a and a slightly deeper, that we struggle with, especially depth wise. And we could really do with someone like Joe Hodge or Connor Coventry getting a run of games uh, in the championship and. You know, coming into the friendlies and impressing. So it's 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 timely. It's timely for the two of them, um, and you just hope it goes well. Like in, like that's four of that under twenty one team that played in that game that got moves. You mentioned uh, Finazaz, and was it Tyreek Wright as well got a move? I think he, he came on. Yeah, he got a move as well. So it just shows you, like, you know, we all like to hype up Irish players. I remember when that under twenty one team got to the playoffs, we were all really excited, and you were thinking, okay, here we go. Here's the next bunch of players that are going to come through to this senior team. But as we've seen, the reality of this is, you see under twenty one teams, you might see two to three players at the top level, maybe two in the next few years, and that's it. And that's the way football works. So we always have to be careful hyping these lads up and getting too excited. So. Hopefully these lads can go on and, and, and do a bit now. But they were kind of the standouts. Obviously Sam Curtis as well uh, was another one. Sheffield planning for life in the championship again next year. So you'd like to think he gets into the team next year and, and, and kicks on. I do have to remember that the Ireland 21s are playing San Marino on the 22nd of March. That's the day before we play Belgium on the 23rd. I know you can say that it's only San Marino, but after the loss to Norway and then the last minute draw against Italy in the two games in November, we really do need to uh, make sure we uh, we get a, a win in that fixture. So I can't see there being too many uh, of the under-21 squad promoted to face Belgium, but there's a strong possibility that they could be involved against Switzerland a few days later. Yeah, it's it's the new manager is going to have to be, he's going to have to be clever here with how he, how he brings players in because he's going to have to pick and choose his moments. We saw with Stephen Kenny, the under-21s the last time. That didn't exactly go to plan sometimes, but we are light in midfield. So if we have midfielders in the under-21 that are impressing, they, they're going to have to be called up, you know, because at the end of the day, the, the, the senior team comes first. We saw Smallbone, not that he didn't get called up in time, but he could have been called up sooner. There's a few of them that could have. So this is why you organise friendlies for the senior team. A lot of the friendlies that were organised for Stephen Kenny towards the last couple of years of his reign were momentum builders and for him to fine-tune his team before he played an incredibly important 
game because every game in the last two years was felt like his last chance saloon. So these friendlies were actually, they weren't being treated as a traditional friendly. They were being treated as a way of building momentum, getting the players to gel and getting the fans on site, which isn't really what friendlies are for. Friendlies are for bringing players into the team, trying to acclimatise them, seeing you can change, change something within the formation or try something new. So I think we'll be back to basics now with the friendlies and some of these players should be called up. I think Stephen Kenny's hands were tied with a lot of these friendlies. So with, with the fear of him losing his job. So um, I think, yeah, hopefully we will get to see a few of the younger players called in. Would you class Anamita's loan to Celtic as the same as Michael Obafemi's loan to Millwall? It kind of feels like wasn't going to get into the first team at Norwich. You now he had to he has to prove himself um, so that in six months' time when the loan ends and he returns to Carroll Road, he he has a, a strong case to be starting up front for the Canaries. He was linked with a loan move to Italy towards the end of January, and then apparently once Celtic made their interest known, he decided that's where he was going to spend the rest of the season. He's already scored twice, two penalties uh, in one game to keep Celtic on top of the league ahead of, you know, arch rivals Rangers. And it, there are reports that uh, Rodgers is taking a, a keen interest in developing his game. But I think he really needs to impress and I think he needs to get it to double figures before the end of May, before he, before he can call it the loan a success. But it's a magnificent opportunity for Adamida as well, isn't it? To go to Celtic. I mean, there's massive pressure to play for Glasgow Celtic as we saw last week in that Hibernian game, injury time, penalty winner. I mean, there's massive pressure on that. Like, So I think from an initial impression, he's impressing. But as you say, he'll need to contribute massively here to this title race because this is going down right to the wire. And obviously the old firm derby games, a game against Aberdeen or Hearts as well, he's going to have to really dominate in terms of getting starting minutes because you've Kyogo there as well. You've... An awful lot of good strikers there that are coming back to full fitness. So, look, I think uh, for Adamida, it's um, from where he was in Norwich, no disrespect to Norwich, but I don't see Norwich getting up this season in the Premier League. Um, I think it's a nice move for Adamida to make the impact. Hopefully there might be a few more suitors coming in for him in the summer because he needs to get out of Norwich City as soon as possible. And maybe that shop window of Italy might open up again more permanently in the summer. But look, it's a magnificent move for him. You know, of all the teams to come calling, Adam either getting to Celtic, you know, Cork Lad, you know, Celtic, you know, supporter. It's, you know, it's match made in heaven, really. Like, he was so young when he when he started playing in the Premier League for an Irish as well. Like, he's 23 now. He played 12 times in the Premier League in 2019-20. So he would have only been like, what, he would have been 18? So he's playing at the highest level very early. And unless you're Mike alone, straight off the bat, prolific, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to do. So he's been at Norwich for a long time, but I'd argue that he's been doing a lot of heavy lifting at Norwich that doesn't necessarily revolve around him scoring, his singularly scoring goals, if you get me. You know, he's been asked to do a lot of donkey work as well against probably bigger teams because of his his stature, his size, his strength, and the style of player he is. So this is probably the first time in his career where he's he's probably going to, the focus is going to solely be beyond scoring goals. 
like you saw, he took the two, he took the two penalties straight away. He wouldn't have got them in Norwich a couple of seasons ago. So I think this is the first move in his career, in his senior career, where it's going to be purely about getting those numbers up. And I think that's that's needed. Like you do see a lot of younger players. Like you can see kind of with Evan Ferguson now. You know, he's not really getting games. He's not scoring as many goals as we thought. It's like you wonder. Has it come a bit too soon? Would a season in the under twenty three Premier League or whatever, you know, banging in twenty, thirty goals would have would have been more beneficial to him? I certainly think that's the case with Ida, where he could have learned how to score goals prolifically. And I think he might get the chance now at Celtic. As you said, Rogers has, has taken an interest in him. So hopefully it's to mould him into a type of goal scorer that he could turn out to be. Because he's only, he is only twenty three, and unlike Obafemi. And Conley, who we have mentioned, he's had a couple of big injuries, but he's there thereabouts every season. You know, he doesn't miss a lot. He's obviously he's obviously a very good trainer. He's well liked. You know, he was at Norris a long time, up and down and up again. You know, so I think there's potential there. I think that the Celtic move could work out for him. He just needs to score. He just needs to get on a run and just hone his skills a bit. So hopefully, hopefully it works out. Joe, I can't believe you haven't named your favourite player yet. Uh, which one? Cristiano Ronaldo. That's the boy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cristiano has uh, signed for CF Estrella de Amadora in uh, in the Premier League. It's an interesting club, actually. They were formed after the original club uh, folded uh, around 2010, but he still hasn't made his first team debut for them. Again, it's like for a player that's only twenty, that's only just turned twenty. You don't want to be writing off their entire career yet, but he has still hasn't played a minute of uh, senior football. Um, and for a twenty-year-old, it did look and it did look like it was going to happen with Boavista, even though he was often uh, photographed training with the first team. Um, so hopefully, look, he can push on as uh, Estrada and going to have a, a good career. He, he was interviewed recently where he said he was quite happy to stay. With Ireland, and that's his his ambition. Yeah, not the most like exciting transfer window, but I think it's good to see people that have got really necessary moves. Like we've mentioned, like, I think it's just the case every January that we're always looking for for underage players or some some players to get moves like that. That's just the norm. But there's been nothing really. Mikey Johnson is another one, I suppose we haven't mentioned. Yeah. Um, and he's getting off to a decent start as well. Like that's a man who hasn't really played that much football. Obviously, Rogers. Rogers wasn't too enamoured with him. I was at the Rangers game on New Year's Eve and he came on and oh, he nearly cost them the game. So he did. So I think that was, we were actually, there was a lot of people in the stand that day saying, that's his goose cooked there. Because um, he just looked a bit clueless. He came on and kept running with the ball down the wing and just carrying it into the tackle and, and losing it and allowing Rangers to build momentum. But he seems to have started all right in the championship. So hopefully he can kick on as well. Because a lot of these players are still in the unknown. You know, we've seen what Mikey Johnson can do, but what's the ceiling of Mikey Johnson if he plays 20 games in the championship? You know, we don't know. So it's good that he's he's taken that move or it's been forced upon him even. It just keeps him active, I suppose. You know, I think for an awful lot of these players, it's a case of shop window in the summer, you know, to really secure maybe permanent deals. I mean, we haven't talked, like Joe, you've talked about him repeatedly, Callum Kavanagh. Signed dotted line with Bradford City for two and a half years. I mean, that was a guy that was very promising in the Middlesbrough youth ranks, but hasn't been able to get a competunity. I know we've talked about Finn, Finn as, as 
But uh, to be fair to Callum Kavanagh, guys like that taking the opportunity to go get their football in lower lower leagues and rebuild up their career and reputation. So I think these guys have to be applauded anyway. You know, they're looking to get game minutes and, uh, you know, fair play to them all and best wishes. The thing about the January transfer window is that the bigger clubs, the ones that are that will be among the favourites for to win the title, they tend not to make big signings in January, mainly because, you know, if you're already if your squad is already that successful that you're you're being talked about as title contenders, that you probably don't need to change very much. Whereas clubs at the other end of the table who are in the relegation zone or in danger of being sucked in to a, a relegation battle before the end of the season, they know that something has to change in order for their chances to improve and that's where you tend to see the majority of moves. It's always good to see uh, younger players getting their, their chance and we wish them all well uh, for the rest of the season. Do you want to talk about the, the ladies uh, side of things? Because there was a few key transfers there as well. I mean, the Taro Hamlin signing Manchester City's women's team until 2027, I think is an outstanding move. Great move for the player and hopefully if all things work out, I mean, this is someone that could really kind of lead the defensive line here for the Republic of Ireland ladies team for many years to come. Outstanding talent. You know, domestically, she was one of the standout players in the league. So best wishes to her. Obviously, you have Abby Larkin and Izzy Atkinson, I suppose, if we're going to be following a, a women's soccer team in England, uh, it'll be Crystal Palace because Izzy Atkinson and Abby Larkin uh, signed contracts with Crystal Palace women uh, on the deadline day, um, which is probably good to see. Hopefully they can elevate their performance because I know Palace are in the mid mid range of the championship trying to get into the WSL, so I think that might be an interesting watch. And obviously Megan Campbell has joined uh, the London Lionesses as well, uh, following her departure from Everton. So there has been some interesting moves, I would say, in terms of Republic of Ireland ladies players, and uh, wish them well. Do you think it was surprising that Katie McCabe wasn't linked with a, a move this transfer window after the rumours that emerged towards the end of the summer transfer window linking her with a possible record transfer to Chelsea? I was surprised, Joe, if I'm brutally honest. But I think now, given the FA Cup lost to Manchester City, I think really and truly, I think we might be seeing something from that transfer link probably in the summer. I think, you know, given that Chelsea Emma Hayes is departing for the US national job, New manager coming in, I think, you know, money will be uh, made available for Chelsea. And this is a player that Chelsea have long since admired. So I'm just wondering about the Arsenal FC situation as well, the Edifal as well, um, from a managerial perspective. Again, just looked like it's going to be a trophyless season there as well. So look, I think for Katie McCabe's uh, career, you know, maybe it's a time to consider her options. I mean, there'd be plenty of suitors out there, wouldn't there? Uh, Joe, given her World Cup campaign, she's always a standout in terms of the Arsenal team. Uh, fantastic delivery, great movement. So I think I think that's maybe a summer transfer, maybe link to probably watch over. I think that's something we'll definitely be seeing, hearing more of when the summer transfer window opens at the beginning of June. Hope you've enjoyed our chat. Myself, Mark and Phil are looking forward to the Nations League when it starts in September and hoping that we have a manager in place by the time we kick off against England in Aviva Stadium. The January transfer window threw up a few interesting moves, uh, maybe not as much as we were hoping for, but I think there was definitely some uh, moves that I think will have interesting repercussions for the Ireland national team further down the line. I want to thank Mark and Phil for joining me on the call. 
looking forward to getting this managerial appointment done. Hopefully it's not Lean Lennon. <laughs> yeah, I suppose likewise, Joe, it's all centering in an Abbottstown in this senior management position. So due time has been given to it. So let's hope uh, the FAI have their right man in terms of their ethos and vision and continue the Stephen Kenny uh, legacy. Well, in terms of a footballing vision sense, maybe not the results, perhaps. One of the lads texted me the last day and he said, what do you think of uh, Lurgan Klopp taking over Ireland? <laughs> I thought it was a good nickname if he does join. You can follow Mark online at Hawkeye Psychic and you can follow Phil at Phil Flanagan. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Irish underscore abroad or at Irish Football Statistics on Instagram. Thanks for listening. We could be back very soon to talk about uh, a new managerial appointment and uh, we look forward to talking to you then. Okay, take care. Bye bye.